Hey, welcome to the Perseverance Podcast. My name is Kelvin, known as the Deafblind Potter. It's so good to see you, even though I can't see you. It's another beautiful day in the neighborhood. I got one quick announcement for you before we dive in to this amazing story. We are launching the See Me Kane Baptist Project Program as well the sponsorship program for the See Me Kane. So you can sponsor a See Me Kane for $299.00. As well, you can back this project for $5.99 and get a sticker as a thank you. And you can continue to help me give light to the blind and help them live beyond their challenges. So I don't want to hold you any farther back from the podcast. So I got a guess for you. This guy, he's a Green Bay Packer fan, a cheesehead just like me. And we're going to have a lot of fun in this conversation. It's going to be a little bit different than what we're used to. But I want you to really understand from this interview that we're going to see a guy, really, he had a lot, but really did not experience his pain until later on, until he was forced to come to his knees. You ready to go on this journey with me? Let's go do this. Persevering is what can allow you to overcome. But you have to find joy in the pain that you live with. It's not going to be easy. But the reward and the character that you will build in persevering through your challenges will be so rewarding. It will give you so much Are you ready to persevere through your challenges? Let's do this. Welcome, Ray, to the Perseverance Podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Glad to be here. I'm excited to be here. So, what made you want to be a cheesehead? Why did I want to be a cheesehead? Mm -hmm. Well... I just grew up in Wisconsin. My mom is a diehard Packer fan. All my brothers were a diehard Packer fan. And I just kind of fell in line. It's all I've ever known, really. <laughs> it's interesting about your story is that you were a pastor's kid. Yep. That was the family I was born into. But something happened when you were age four that kind of transformed your mind, your thought process. Kind of tell us what happened when you were four years old. Like you said, I was born into a pastor's family in a local Baptist church. Everything seemed like it was all in order. We went to church every Sunday. Dad preached. But then one day, as a four-year-old, I witnessed my dad get in a fight with my oldest brother, who was 14 at the time, and ended up being bloody. I got scared, and as a four-year-old, I called 911. How I knew to call 911, I don't really know. I think it was had something to do with an ad on Sunday, Saturday morning cartoons, but who knows. Uh, <laughs> the police showed up, and my dad was pretty suave. We talked his way out of it. Nothing happened, no big deal. But then, not long after that, he left. He just up and left. And I remember many extreme conversations between my dad and my mom, and it was very tense for our family. And I didn't really see him for a very long time after that. 
and I didn't really understand why he left for a very long time. I blamed myself. I thought it was because I called the police on him. It really affected me long term. That's how I perceived a pastor. It's hard to trust a man of God after that. Yeah. I mean, it rocked your world. I mean, you're blaming yourself because I called the police and now my dad ran away. The guy that's supposed to be with you to show you the way is now not there. You're blaming yourself for it. Talk about a little bit about that pain that you're feeling at that time. It really took a long time for me to process it. As a kid, you don't really process how much it affects you or how much it hurts you. As a kid, I remember seeing other families and thinking, well, they have a dad, but I don't have a dad. I didn't have anybody to push me into anything. I didn't really play sports at all until I was 14. I was a very odd kid. No one was there to shake me down. My mom tried, but she was raising five kids at the time. Looking back, I know it was really hard to process all that I was missing and all that I I longed for because I just grew up without him. The pain went way deeper than even my own consciousness. Uh, And as I got older, the more I realized just how much of that I needed in my life and how much I never got. I had always longed for a role model and for someone to give me direction. I just always felt like I was flailing around doing my own thing. No one really held me to any standard because in my own family, my siblings were all a lot older than me, but they were dealing with their own grief in their own way. And then my mom was so busy trying to take care of everything uh, in between that it was hard for her to be there. That's not how God designed it either. God didn't design it for one woman to raise a whole family. We need that rock. We need that anchor of a father here in our lives. There were five of you, right? Five. Yep. And I'm the youngest. Your mom just trying to do the best thing she could do as a mom. And the other siblings were trying to do their own thing, trying to cope with it, deal with it. Did any of them blame you as well? No, we never really even really talked about it for as long as I can remember. It's always been an empty hole in the history of our family. You know, my mom didn't talk about it because it was too painful. Us siblings would mention it every once in a while, but we'd all get pretty frustrated by it, just trying to figure out all that went down and transpired from that and all the different effects that have resulted from it were difficult. So no one ever even talked about it. And so that's kind of what I thought was supposed to happen. Well, well, it's a difficult time, but we don't talk about it. So we just got to ignore it. It really left a lot of questions unanswered and a lot of emptiness in my life. And, you know, direction was completely gone. You're four, you're going through life, you're dealing with your dad, but your mom wanted to make sure that you stayed in church. Even though the church gave her pain. <laughs> Because she was a pastor's wife, but she felt it was important that you guys stayed in church. So what happened when you were eight? I got to praise my mom for this. In spite of her going through her own struggles while trying to manage five kids and trying to work to support them all, she made sure that we were in church every time doors were open. And it was the same church that my dad left. She took it upon herself as a personal responsibility to try and see it through that that church got a new pastor and that she supported that church. She viewed that as part of her ministry, part of what she was meant to do. And us kids attended there every Sunday. I still think back with very fond memories as a teenager, especially when none of us kids would want to get out of bed. The piano was strategically placed right in the middle of the house. And my mom, about 7.30, would just bang out on hymns, wake us all (laughs) up in the house. (laughs) <laughs> to try and make sure we woke up to go to church. 
she was really committed to getting us out of that house and getting us going. So I mean, it, it, she probably has a lot better voice than I do, but she probably just saying, "Like this is my story, this is my song." <laughs> she definitely played it pretty loud. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll never forget waking up to songs like "Nothing But the Blood." I'm trying to remember how it goes. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is all my hope and peace. And she would just, she would just the whole house. We'd all groan, you know. All my siblings would turn all over and groan, like, "Oh, it's that time already." I just want more sleep. That's what I want. Don't you get it, mom? There was one Sunday where my mom got us all to church, and there was this uh, evangelist there. I remember him saying very plainly, "He's like, compared to what Jesus did, we gave him trash. Our lives are trash." Paul says, all our works are as filthy rags before Christ, but what he requires of us is that we just give him our lives. Uh, I remember as an eight-year-old thinking, I don't give him anything. I need to give him my life. And so I do remember accepting Jesus Christ as my Savior, believing in him at eight years old in the same church that my dad had left. And I remember just the overwhelming peace that I had. That was a very powerful moment for me. I will remember that for a very long time. That is kind of a crazy idea. You went to the same church that you lost your father and found a new father. But you gain a more powerful father that will never leave you and never forsake yeah. you. And he's been with me every step of the way. Looking back, I can just see how he's been moving in my life with every new phase of my life, every new experience that I've had. He's been weaving the fabric of my life together, and it's amazing to me just how much he's really developed my life and developed my interests, developed my experiences to bring me to where I am today, and he seems to continue to move me in those directions towards just a more abundant life, as Jesus himself has said. So you're Raymond III. How did Raymond Jr. and Raymond Sr. impact your progression in moving forward in life? My grandfather was a pretty angry man, used a lot of alcohol in his day, and actually died at a very young age, I think in his early 50s. And then my father, who learned from him, also developed his own taste for alcohol. After he left, I found out later that he had gone to the Native American reservations and had been experiencing many mind-altering and psychologically-altering drugs. Knowing all of this, and me being Raymond III, I knew I had a significant burden on my shoulders that my family had an aptitude for addiction and an aptitude for substance abuse. And knowing what that did to my own family and how my father acted, I knew that I wanted absolutely nothing to do with those substances. I completely rejected them all. I knew exactly the kind of father I didn't want to be. I didn't want to be a father that left his family. I didn't want to be a father that abused his kids. I didn't want to be a father that let anger drive a wedge between him and his wife. I didn't want to be any of that. God is still guiding me and directing me on how to do all of those things as you know, every, every married man or, or father that's out there. I knew what I didn't want to be, and as Raymond III, it was a really significant burden on me knowing that that was a risk, that I, that I was capable of committing such heinous things. You're turning 18, you're becoming an adult, 
you're realizing being a third, you're prone to all this. You're a musician. You're joining a band. You're starting to play in gigs and bars, and you're experiencing this whole new life. Tell us about this time in your life. How did it shake who you were, and what decisions did you have to make? I had told God pretty significantly. I was about 16 years old. I was listening to a lot of music that was uh, influencing me in some significant ways, and I enjoyed it. And God was really moving in my heart and saying, you need to get rid of this, you need to get rid of this. But one day, I remember very specifically in my own bedroom, I said, no, I like it, and God, you're going to have to be okay with it. And I remember very specifically in that moment that the Spirit left me, and that's when all my desires just completely turned to the things of this world. I didn't feel the Spirit moving in my heart anymore. It was just doing what I felt like doing and what I wanted to do, not doing what I knew to be right. And so I started this band with my friends, and we ended up winning the high school talent show. We won a couple hundred dollars, and then we started gigging around. We were having a blast. I, I knew in my heart that what I was doing was not for God, and I wasn't serving God, but I had convinced myself that, well, as long as I'm not doing anything evil, it should be fine. But I remember one day we were performing at a local river festival uh, where I live. We live right on the Mississippi. I'm performing there, and we're playing our music, and I just remember seeing people doing evil things to my music that I had written. For a high school kid, as an 18-year-old, we had found a fair amount of success, but then I remember looking out and seeing people doing evil things to my music, and it really made me sit back and reflect, where am I heading here? Am I really serving God with my life, or am I just serving myself? And it made me take a step back to really reflect and see, well, why isn't God involved in anything that I'm doing? And from that point on, I was questioning everything. I was questioning, well, do I believe in God? Uh, did I really get saved when I was eight years old? Uh, just about every aspect of my life was challenged. And then I went off to college. From there, I met people from various faiths of all shapes and sizes and met with very anti-God scientific professors and psychology professors and people that were almost seemed to have an agenda against the Christian faith that I had grown up in. I thought, well, if I wasn't doing anything wrong, then I'm not doing anything evil. But then I found out, just as it says in Matthew, that you can't serve God and man. You're either loving the one and hating the other, or vice versa. I realized that I was serving the world. I had to ask myself, is there a God that really does truly care? Is there a God that really does want me to serve Him? Does He really care about me? Is He really involved in my life? Is He really taking care of me? I had to wrestle with these questions throughout basically my whole college career. As you're going for your college career, you found a woman. Did you sweep her off her feet, or did she sweep you off your feet? <laughs> Interestingly enough, we met in the same church that my mom had us attending. I was 11, and she was 10. It was a smaller church, so it's not like there were many girls around that were my age, especially. And I remember going over to her and thinking that she was just the most beautiful thing me and my smooth 11-year-old, suave, conversationalist sense of self, I asked her if she liked the carpet. 
Yeah, and uh, she was not impressed. It took mm-hmm. years of awkward conversations of me just trying to talk to her and get to know her, but we ended up falling in love pretty early on. I had told her at 16 I was going to date her right out of high school, and that's what we did. And then when we were 20, I proposed, and we got married when we were 21. And then we had our first kid at 22. So it was pretty fast moving by most of today's standards. But I'm still married to her today, and I wouldn't change it for anything. She's been an incredible blessing. You have child number one. You have child number two. You have child number three. And then your whole world got rocked Mm -hmm. when child number four came. Tell us what that was like. I was just really lost in a whole slew of questions, trying to answer them for myself and, and, and seeing a lot of those answers. But I had not really given my life back to God. I've been convicted of things and I confess things, but I'd never really felt the Spirit significantly ever since I was 16 and I told God no. So I was trying to lead my family and trying to be a good husband in my own power. I wasn't a bad person, but it wasn't satisfying. It wasn't like I was living a life that was really going somewhere and that God was really using me. God just still felt very distant. But child number four came along, and she was born one pound, one ounce. She was born 27 weeks, but she was the size of a 21-week-old. And that really rocked my world because my wife, they had to take her to a very special hospital that is one of the top hospitals in the world to take care of these type of babies. And she was an hour away. And so my wife stayed there an hour away while I was at home with our older three kids trying to hold down the fort and function being a single dad and just hoping and praying that my fourth child survives. It was really, really, really difficult for both my wife and myself. It made me first realize just how much of a blessing my wife was. All of that turmoil, just how strong she was and just how much work she really did around the house because now all of that work that she was doing while I was at work was now on me. And it humbled me because I realized just how lazy I was as a husband and as a father. I realized just how useless I was. I hadn't been investing myself spiritually into my kids. I thought that, well, if I just hang out with them every once in a while or we watch a show together as a family, that was family time. But I was rocked to my core. I felt so powerless because then even in the midst of all that stress, my career was falling apart because I just couldn't focus on anything. I was so scared of, of my daughter dying and things were just falling apart all around me. And it was heartbreaking. I remember holding her on Christmas Day. She was born November 20th and she was still in the hospital because she was in there for four months. And I remember singing to her and just bawling my eyes out and just praying, Lord, something's got to change. I'm broken. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know where I'm supposed to go, but I know that you need to take control and that I need to get my priorities straight. I need to take care of my wife. I need to take care of my family. I need to start taking responsibility for who I am and what you want me to be. And that was a really profound thing when I realized that I needed to take responsibility for myself and I needed to follow God's plan, not just whatever I felt. Growing up was completely unstructured. No one was around telling me what to do or where to go. And and so I just kind of decided to live my life as I felt. And especially after I lost that spiritual connection with God, when I just flat out rejected him, I didn't have a conscience. I just did what felt right. 
And that was no way to live. That just left me feeling quite empty. So I reached this breaking point in the process of it all. And then immediately after, she comes home. I committed myself. When she comes home, Lord, if you keep her alive, when she comes home, then I will do everything you need me to do. And she came home after four months. And within a week, all of a sudden, COVID happened. And everything shut down. So after all of that personal turmoil, the world shut down. I'm only at home with my family, but I look out on the world and after having experienced so much, I just felt so empty still. I was broken. I was depressed. I felt like, well, here all this stuff is happening. All this stuff is breaking me down. And I finally feel like I've got some direction and I just fell back down into this self-loathing self-reflection. Well, my dad didn't care. doesn't seem like God really cares. He let us experience this really difficult time, and my wife was really struggling with that whole experience as well, and a lot of it was overwhelming. It broke me. You lose your loved one, your mother-in-law. I was just completely lost, but at that point, when I redirected myself to God, I found a new life within that. There was a complete revitalization of what I'm working for, because it was no longer about me. It was now about what does God want from me? And I knew number one priority from that was he wanted me to take responsibility for my family, to be a solid leader for my wife, someone that she could depend upon, to be a solid leader for my kids, that they had somebody to look up to and trust, rather than just some person who wasn't leaving, which was basically all I had considered for myself. Well, I didn't leave my kids, so I must be doing pretty well. It really completely shattered all of my preconceived notions of who I should be versus who God wanted me to be. You had to go to ground zero in your life. Once ground zero hit, the pain was there. Let's bring this full circle and let's look at the pain that you had to go through in your life. You had to go through the pain of wondering, my father left, and it must have been my fault. You had to go through the pain of, God, I want to be what I want to be, and I don't want to give everything up to you. You had to go through the pain of seeing your music do something that you didn't necessarily agree with, but you weren't really quite ready to give it up. And then you had to go through the pain of what it looked like to be a dad until you were forced to see what it would be to be a dad for Christ. And you're at your knees, almost questioning, is it even worth continuing to move forward? You know, my whole life, I had just viewed God very much like my own dad. I knew he existed. I knew he probably loved me in some way, shape, or form. But I had never experienced that. I never dove in and just let myself be swallowed up in the arms of my Savior. I had always just viewed him as something completely distant, something to know about, but it wasn't something that was personal. Growing up, I, I was blaming myself, didn't think of myself to be worthy. I, you know, I came from a broken home, a lot of personal trauma. And then as I went on with my relationship with God, I just grew more and more distant with him because I just thought he wasn't really interested in me. Why would he be interested in me? So I pursued music. I pursued all these things that I thought were going to bring me satisfaction. 
bring me glory or bring me fame. And, and I just kept coming up empty, 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 empty. And meanwhile, I'm trying to start a family and I'm thinking to myself, well, if I can be a good father, well, a better father than my dad, then I must be doing okay. But that wasn't what was going to satisfy me either. And God brought me to my knees so significantly and so quickly, forcing me to recognize just how little I have dedicated to him in pretty much my entire adult life up to that point. And I had tried in my own way, but at the end of it all, I knew what I was doing was not where God wanted me to be. So when I was finally broken in the midst of my daughter suffering and not knowing if she was going to live, me being forced to reconcile and come to the fact that I don't know what I'm doing and I've never known what I'm doing and I haven't been trusting in God the way I knew that I should be. I had never given him the chance to show his love to me because I didn't think he wanted to influence me in any way. I just kind of viewed him like my own father. So when I finally was broken down and grinded down to the point where my pride was out of the way, where I didn't want anything but peace in my own heart and peace in my home, that was at the point where God lifted me up and he showed me, as the Bible says, great and mighty things that I didn't know. I didn't understand just how personal the love of God really was. He had begun to show me that through the love of others, first of all, people being so overly generous in our time of need that it was inexplainable, it was unnatural, other than through the love of Christ. People that would take the time to listen and direct me, and then eventually, when I finally got on my knees and I said, Lord, take everything, take my home, take my wife, take my kids, take my whole life and use it for you. I put it all in your hands. All of a sudden, the Word was made alive again. It was like I couldn't read any part of the Bible that didn't just singe and pierce me down to my very core. And from that conviction, I would confess. And from that confession, I found new life. I found a whole new purpose to drive me forward and to perfect myself and to try to live for something better, something greater, something more powerful. And ultimately, I realized just how much my Heavenly Father really loves me. And it was from that that now I'm doing my best to dedicate myself to share with others just how powerful the love of God is, and that no matter what state of life you're in, no matter what your view is of yourself, that has no effect on just how much God wants to use you, and just how much God loves you, and how much He wants to see your life being lived more abundant. Not in riches and glory, but in purpose and meaning, and in comfort and joy. And also, as it says in Philippians, that peace that passeth all understanding. It's so significant. So my whole perception of God has changed. It's like we don't love God because he tells us to. We love God because he first loved us, as it says in First John. And that's been such a profound drive because as a kid, I never really felt loved by my dad. I never really felt like he had any desire to be a part of my life. There's a lot of schemes he played as I was growing up, a lot of times where he was just distant for years and never heard anything. He never sent a card for my birthday. I just felt like he didn't want anything to do with me. But once I finally realized that God, our Father, wants so much to be involved in our life, he wants to be with you every step of the way. He wants to walk you through your most difficult times. And ever since then, 
ever since that moment of being broken and putting it all on the altar and taking God's hand, I found nothing but peace. And the blessing of God has been on my life, and I have to give him the glory for all of it. As my life continues down, whether it's on my own personal path, whether it's the peace within my home, with my kids, through my relationship with my wife, we're celebrating our 10-year anniversary coming up here soon, and our relationship has never been stronger. We've never felt closer. And it's been so powerful that once I gave myself to the love of God, He took everything off my shoulders. And the Holy Spirit has really rid me of that self-loathing, of that sense of unworthiness, to know that I'm an heir of heaven, I'm a child of God, and that there's nothing that He wishes to keep from me. This comes to the whole concept. You didn't know how to take the next step. But the next step was to persevere in your pain, to find the joy in that pain, and to find God in the mix of all of it. Because now you're you're at a point now, you're like any pain that comes your way, you're just God here it is. We don't have to worry. Here's the crazy part. Since we've gone through that, now it's almost exciting when we go through trials. And like it says in James, because it counted all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Exactly. I do. It's unnatural, <laughs> but it's holy. You know, it's unnatural. Yeah. But that's how you know it's of God, is that it's unnatural. Is that I get excited to see, well, what is God doing in this situation? Yeah. How is he driving me forward? Where is he carrying me? What lesson can I learn? What enhancement to my life is the Holy Heavenly Father bringing into this situation? What's the next piece of the story that is just going to add so much more meaning, a much greater layer of understanding of who God is? It's so incredible. It's so incredible. And that's the power. And that's why I wanted to interview you. Because you had the Christ talk, but the Christ walk didn't come until you were forced to your knees. And then you learn how to have joy in your pain. And then the hunger to continue to move forward. Which get why this podcast is called the Perseverance Podcast. Because you have to persevere to build a character that has hope in Christ. And if we don't have hope in Christ, we can't have joy in the midst of literally the shelves going empty and going to the worst of times of our lives. The world coming to a point where we don't know what the next 10 weeks are going to look like for us. But all we know is we're excited about it. We're wondering, all right, we got to still support our family. We still got to figure out, God, how are you going to show up? It makes you worry. But there's so much peace in knowing that our time on this earth is only for a season. And our healing is in heaven. And the pain is only on earth. And that we'll be able to overcome the barriers that are before us. Doesn't matter how bad it is on earth. Those that blame God, why did you do this? Why did you do that? I'm going to tell you, open your eyes and see the joy in why God did that. Right. And I think that for me, knowing that God is sovereign and looking over all things and sees things from the beginning to end, knowing that he doesn't make mistakes, knowing that he has a purpose behind everything. It makes it so fascinating and overwhelming to know and to understand that just about every detail of your life that you can think of, God has planned from the beginning. He wants you to see him in it. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God. 
again, that's an unnatural thing to someone who is without Christ. For them to give thanks, even for the difficult things, even for the pain and the suffering that they have, that's unnatural. But it is through the supernatural fruits of the Spirit, through the indwelling of a holy God in your heart, that you find the unnatural joy, the unnatural peace, the unnatural ability to persevere in such incredibly difficult situations that otherwise might have ripped you down to nothing. But to know that God is sovereign and is in control of all, and like Job, his intentions are to glorify himself through your life, submitted to him. It is incredible, and it is powerful, and that's why I'm committed to getting the gospel out there as best I can, because it is powerful, it is real. Another thing I want to say is that we're called to be witnesses of God and witnesses of Christ. But until I had completely given myself over and given God the chance to show himself, I hadn't witnessed anything. I had witnessed his saving grace when I was eight years old, but until I gave my life to him, until I had that relationship with him, I had witnessed very little. And God wants us to be a witness of him, but how can we be a witness if we haven't seen him work, if we haven't seen him do the work in our lives? And now that I've seen it, now I realize he's far more real than I could have ever imagined. And it's really up to us to pursue God, to draw an eye to him, and so he will draw an eye to us, and he will show us all these great and mighty and powerful things. But we can't be witnesses until we've witnessed him firsthand. And I guess I want to just encourage anybody who may be struggling, well, I haven't seen God. Have you given your whole life to him? Have you been a witness of his glory? And if you haven't, then reflect and just give God time to work in your heart. As you're listening to this podcast, I want to give you an opportunity. Do you have a life similar to Raymond, where he gave his life at a young age? We've listened to Whitney's, where she became the prodigal daughter and came back to Christ. We've now heard Raymond and how he gave his life to Christ, but never really fell in love with Christ. In a lot of these interviews that we've done, we've seen people who gave their life to Christ early in life, but walked away. They never really fell in love with Christ. To where, when pain comes, you're looking for more. You're asking God, how can you teach me here? How can you help me grow now? I want to give you the opportunity right now. Just pray with me now. Father, forgive me for the ways that I have gone. That I thought I could do it on my own strength. That I could do it all on my own. Father, forgive me now. And show me what it means to fall in love with you. And allow me to use that love that I fall in love with you. To be so evident to those around me. Give me the joy in my pain. And allow me to persevere. So that way I can build my relationship with you that has so much hope. You say that prayer, you let me know. And you can email me at kelvin at perseveringspodcast.com. And I want to know. And I want to help you through this journey. Because you don't have to walk this alone. Amen. Raymond, it's been fun. It's been a fun journey going through this. And I'm excited to see how many people... Respond, because I think so many people can relate to your story. 
Well, I would give God the glory for it. If I can be of, of any influence for the cause of Christ, praise God. I'm just uh, thankful for the opportunity. Yeah, appreciate you <laughs> doing this podcast. That wraps up for the Perseverance Podcast. Here comes the Perseverance Corner. So today's Perseverance Corner verse is from Hebrews 12.1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by of such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with the perseverance, the race marked out for us. Pretty powerful stuff, huh? Because God has a plan for us and his angels are there for us. They're in the cloud. Our guardian angels, they take care of us through the journeys in our darkest times. Just like Ray, he kind of floated through life. And then when that time came where the perseverance was needed for him to live beyond his challenges. So here are the announcements. So the big into it order is done. I'm super excited to have that project done. But I made 110 mugs, got them out the door, and now... I'm moving on to the next project, and that is to see McCain and really going full-blown into that, which is what you're going to start seeing. The Perseverance Podcast is not going to start having any videos anymore because of how much time it takes. So we're going to continue the podcast so that way you guys can continue to get the experience of living beyond your challenges from a deaf-blind potter perspective and also through the guests that have lived through challenges in their own life. Next month's podcast will be about an individual that was addicted to sexual behaviors. And we go into how he overcame that as well. We go into how to work through sexual behaviors in your home. In my case, as a dad, how I talk about my struggles and also teaching my son how to work through the sexual behaviors out there. So what is a godly way to do that? That's what this next podcast is all about. Is we have to look through the lens of how God wants us to persevere. Through keeping our body pure for Christ. What does that look like? I'll show you. That will be next month. Like I always say. Go live beyond your challenges. You guys have a good one. Now you're ready to persevere for your challenges today. Thank you for joining me on the Persevering Podcast. If you'd like to get a hold of me, you can email me at kelvin at perseveringpodcast.com. You can also follow me on TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at DeafBlindPotter. If you'd like to buy some merch or some DeafBlindPotter pieces, you can go to deafblindpotter.com. Please give us a five-star rating and subscribe to the Persevering Podcast so you don't miss an episode. That way, you and I can continue living beyond our challenges and persevering through them too.